time of question and response. Some of those questions come during the service and some of them after. A few questions that came from last week that we want to just uh, respond to this morning. Uh, one of the questions is, how can we kind of communicate with each other when um, we do this uh, discovery of spiritual gifts and maybe somebody senses that they have a particular spiritual gift, but maybe it's one that they want, ne not necessarily one that they have. And yes, the, the questionnaire is uh, subjective, and we want to be able to deal kindly with each other. And one of the key aspects to this is as we go through this and we learn and discover and discern, the discerning of spiritual gifts happens in community. So as you fill this questionnaire out and you find these things and you begin to talk with other people and say, you know, here's kind of what I, the results and what do you think and do you see this or how do you see and we interact with each other and we try to maintain a posture of humility and dialogue because spiritual gifts are active in community and we discern them in community. Another question came up and that was, well, when uh, we do these spiritual gift questionnaire, and the results, what happens, you know, occasionally maybe the results aren't that great. Maybe my numbers aren't that high. And we've had several people talk about this, you know, and it actually, doing it can kind of make me feel kind of poor or, or even worse. And I want you to just also appreciate, that, is, that, that could be the case, but I want you to know that spiritual gifts and what we are in is also a spiritual battle that the enemy is trying to discourage us from walking in step with the Holy Spirit and acknowledging that the Spirit equips and resources His church. The other thing I want to remind you of, and this is what Paul reminded us of in the uh, book of Romans in chapter 8, that there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you hear a voice or a thought that is putting you down or making you feel lesser than or not worthy, that is not from the Lord. What you need to know is when you do this questionnaire is that uh, the Lord has promised to equip each and every one with spiritual gifts. That's a promise. Then the last question we had that came in during the week was the matter of uh, talents and attributes and things like that. And people, it seems, regardless of whether they are a Christian or not, are, uh, are, have these different talents and attributes and so on. And, and what is the difference between that and spiritual gifts? Another great question. We believe that everything good comes from the Lord. If it's good, it's from our good Creator. So that means that talents and aptitudes and abilities that are good are also from Him, and that is an expression of His common grace to all people. But then there are spiritual gifts that He gives particularly to followers of Jesus Christ, and those spiritual gifts are meant particularly to encourage and build up the body of Christ, the church. You will see if you've taken a look at that spiritual gift study guide that in the introduction it talks a little more about this delineating spiritual gifts from abilities and experiences and so on. And then, as Tyler mentioned, he is going to facilitate a workshop called SHAPE, where it talks about habits and, and abilities and, and uh, personality and experience and bringing all that together. So I encourage you to look at that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you turn there, you will see that at the end of that chapter, Paul is an amazing both order and he's a prolific writer. And at the end of 1 
Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, he says this at the very end. And now I will show you a still more excellent way. He's been talking about spiritual gifts. He's been talking about the body of Christ, which is an extended metaphor of the church. And then he finishes by saying, I will, now I will show you a still more excellent way. A more excellent way than spiritual gifts. And we understand that the Holy Spirit gives each and every person a spiritual gift or more. And yet, he says that there is something even still more excellent than that. Which is not hyperbole. Even though, that's the Greek word for excellent. And so what is going on here? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians and go to the beginning of chapter 13. Where he begins to explain... If I speak, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, if I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain Nothing. Love supersedes spiritual gifts. Love. Love is more profound, more uh, powerful, uh, a priority to spiritual gifts. And do you recognize some of the spiritual gifts that he's listed in here? We've been studying this, so he says speaking in tongues. He talks about faith, prophetic powers. He says, understanding all mysteries, having wisdom, having knowledge. He even goes as far as to say, if you have the gift of poverty, if you have the gift of martyrdom, but do not have love, do not express and embody and exercise love, then all of those spiritual gifts are essentially worthless. They're empty. They're of no use. Love. The, the problem, though, is that the idea and the concept of love is skewed for the first church, Corinth. I mean, they're living, essentially, the cities in the shadow of this big hill where a temple was, an occult, where they practiced uh, had sexual practices as part of their form of religion. And so this is problematic for Paul to say love in this context of 1 Corinth. He has some explaining to do. Why is love so great? Why is it so great? So be all and end all. But Love is not only problematic for the folks in Corinth. Oh, love is problematic for us today. Well, I mean, what is love? Well, uh, apparently you can make it. Apparently you can fall in it. You can fall out of it. Uh, we have confused love with like. Um, I like uh, Sushi, or you like chocolate, but if you, there's a particular chocolate, well, you go from, uh, when you really like it, well, you love it. 
And we've conflated love with things like desire and pleasure. But the reality is that people want love. We need love. Way beyond a thrill or some chocolate. And so people are looking for it in various places. We desperately need it. But where do we get our information from? Uh, that's a question generally. Where do you get your information from? And particularly, where, who informs you and informs our sense of, of definition and description in what love is? Because I tell you, friends, brothers and sisters, there is a plethora of voices clamoring every single day for your attention and will describe and define and shape everything you are trying to think and believe, including what love is. And it seems that love affects us so deeply that it shapes and guides how we live and, and it can even shape our identity. Is that why love is so powerful? Why is love so great? Uh, superior even than spiritual gifts. Superior to superpowers. What is it? And why is it so powerful? Well, let's continue in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Those are the characteristics and attributes of love. That's what love is. The is's and isn'ts. I mean, look at that table. The is's and isn'ts of love. Back in November, I put this table in your bulletins as a sermon supplement. Kimberly and I have magnetized this and have it on our fridge. If you look at that list and you look at it, you know, you could sum up what love is with a word. Love, according to this, is perfect. Love is perfect. And it would seem then also humanly impossible at the same time. But love sure seems to be perfect. Verse 8. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. Gift of prophecy. For as for tongues, they will cease. Tongues are going to stop. As for knowledge, it will come to an end, for we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. So 
Love is superior to spiritual gifts because these spiritual gifts will ultimately come to an end. They won't be necessary any longer, but love will continue because love is eternal. Love is without end. In fact, I will offer to you that love is without beginning or end, as I will explain momentarily. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Love is eternal, but love is also active already. It's in the now. There is a now and a then aspect to love. Love is now, but it isn't fully completed and realized. Love is also then. It is in the present and in our future. Okay, so it's more superior, it's more powerful than superpowers, but what about things like faith and hope, the pillars of our beliefs and the pillars of being a follower of Jesus? Verse 13, and now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest, the mega Greek word for greatest is love. Because even faith and hope will come to an end one day. We won't need it anymore, but what we will need and still have is love. So let's add this up. Why is love so uh, profound and superior and powerful, even above superpowers, these spiritual gifts? Well, love is perfect. Love is eternal. Love is present now and will be for all eternity. What does that sound like? Perfect, eternal, present, and future. Yeah. It sounds like God. Love is superior because love is the essence of God. Love is divine. John, the gospel writer in the Gospel of John, sometimes called the Gospel of Love, talks a lot about it in the Gospel of John. But then we go to 1 John. If you wanted to do a little exercise and just highlight the number of times the word love is mentioned in 1 John alone, you're going to have just a chock full of highlights. But 1 John 4, verse 8, John says, If someone does not love their neighbor, they do not know God, because God is love. God is love. And then a few verses down in verse 16, he says again, God is love. Those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Abide. We abide in love and abide in God, and God abides in us, and love abides in us. Love is the active part of the community of the Trinity. It's what they share together. It's what arrives together. I think that love, you know, reminded me of of fascia in the body. 
fascist surrounds and it holds the nerve fibers, it holds the blood vessels and the muscles, supports, surrounds, and holds all of that together. It, it's the fascia of the Trinity and also the body of Christ, the church. But there's something more about love when you see that is and isn't. There's something, the essence. How do you, how do you illustrate the essence Used to be in the old days we had perfume and colognes and maybe someone wore something and it reminded you of your parent or your guardian or your grandmother, your grandfather. It was just the smell and it was, oh, I recognize that smell. Or the smell after a rain, petrichor. Your rain happened, and you know the rain happened. You step outside, and, and you, just, you, just, you just know. And there's that smell, that essence, the evidence of the presence and the happening of God. Well, like the heat and light from the sun. It's inseparable. You can't separate the orb and the heat and the light of the sun. It's inseparable. They come together. And so when we look at these early verses, the is and isn'ts, we could actually substitute the word God for love and say God is patient and kind. That's what He is like. could substitute God and love. And this love that is described and defined here, this is divine love, and it is impossible apart from God because God is love. That's this love that we're talking about. Impossible without Him and always present with Him without beginning or end. And He is extravagant and generous with it. The psalmist in Psalm 119.64 says, The earth is full of His steadfast love. And you know if you look at a flower or a bug or a rock or a mountain or a tree and all that creativity and all the things that are going on or you look at your life or the life that is going on around you. And what we understand is this means that actually love is in charge. Divine love as described here. The love of God. Very difficult for us to grasp and appreciate especially when we don't experience it and especially when the Common vernacular today, the posture today is one of anger and vitriol. But it is actually love that is in charge. And we have a decision to make about where we will get our information about what love is and how we lean into this. And His love is meant for us. And those spiritual gifts are meant to be filled with love. And as we express and we exercise and we discern our spiritual gifts, there comes this sort of petrichor of, of, of scent and sense of the presence of God through the love and the spiritual gifts that are being exercised. And so we go back to those verses in 1 Corinthians 13, and maybe can we replace the word love with Westview? Westview is patient and kind. You're patient and kind. You believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. I want to pause for a few minutes here for some 
question and response, and then we will conclude. And so if you have a, a question or something that you're ruminating on and you want to ask, now's your chance to do that. You can text or email to ask at Westview Church, or you can stand in the auditorium here and ask your question, and we'll bring a microphone to you and ask your questions. I know some of you are processing, and, and some of these questions come after the service, and that's all right. Oh, there's a question there. We'll just grab your mic and thanks, uh, Reese. There we go. <laughs> so on what we were just talking about, that God is love and God abides in love, um, I know several people that I'm friends with that are not faithful. But they love. They have massive amounts of love. And I know that they love me and they love my family and all of those around them. But if I told them that God is love and no God abides in them because they, the love that they share for everyone, they would not enjoy that sentiment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How mm -hmm. did that work out? Yeah. And so we see people that are actually kind. We see people that are expressing these attributes, these love attributes, um, that are not necessarily followers of Jesus. And I would say that among teenagers and young adults, a lot of times, they have uh, more experience of finding kindness and goodness and those sorts of attributes among people that aren't followers of Jesus than people that are. And how is that possible? And this is an aspect of God's common grace. Yes, if it is good, then it is from the Lord. And I've had this experience as well. I've been uh, uh, talked with people. In fact, I, I was officiating at a funeral and coming alongside a family. And uh, the, the mother, uh, it was actually of a, of a young adult who had passed away. And uh, the mother was not practicing a follower of, of Jesus, but she was demonstrating a lot of love, particularly towards her son. And I said, I see uh, the Holy Spirit in your life. I see the work of the Lord in your life. And it, raise, it can give a perplexed look of expression on someone's face. But the Holy Spirit is present everywhere, and He's working uh, with people. And if it is good, it's from the Lord. And so kindness and goodness and gentleness, fruit of the Spirit, yes, that's from the Lord. And it is those who follow Jesus that receive and are, are guided by, but that doesn't mean that He doesn't the, you know, bestow and, and grant this kind of kindness and begin shaping people's lives. It's such a good question. Somebody's texted in and says, how do we know when we truly love someone as opposed to just liking them a lot? especially if we are to love all, how do we tell the difference between our Christ-following love for all and the possible love of a forever partner? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. And so I think there's, um, there's several points to that, and one is the difference, how can we tell the difference between love and like? And that's excellent, because there is a big difference between love and like. And again, we come to the description of love here, 
begin to understand where are we getting our understanding, our description of love. And if we see it here, that means that I can uh, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. I can express love, but not necessarily like someone or something that they're doing. So if someone is... Uh, acting in a contrary way or they're uh, being mean or they're saying something nasty to somebody else, I don't like that. But I can still love them. As someone who is bearing the image of God, who is loved by the Father, and so that's love that is bestowed by God and by the Holy Spirit uh, supersedes even the circumstance. It is understanding that God loves this person, and so I'm going to love this person, I'm going to choose to love this person and express these things even when the circumstance would say otherwise. But I don't have to like what they're doing at the moment, which is different. I think that's really valuable. And I think uh, there was another part in there about um, a forever partner. Yeah, the difference between our Christ-following love for all and the possible love of a forever partner. Right. So the possible love of a forever partner, which I guess you could say is kind of like a romantic love in a way, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the two are very closely related. When Jesus was asked, and this is recorded in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke, when Jesus was asked, what are the, what are the greatest commandments? Like, you know, Jesus, there were, you know, there were ten commandments, but I need a short list. <laughs> right? I need the drive-through. I need the microwave version already. Because 10 is too many. And what does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the greatest and foremost command. And then he said, the second, what, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two depend all the law and the prophets. So he sums it all up. And so what he's saying is that, the, in fact, he says, it is like it. The way I love the Lord is by loving other people. And so if we are followers of Jesus and we love Jesus and Jesus is Lord, he's captain of our lives. He's the one informing and shaping how we live, what we believe and so on. And he says, love your neighbor, love the next person, show faithfulness to them, show loyalty to them. That is your way of demonstrating love to the Lord is by your demonstration of love to your partner as it is described here. And so there are things here, of course, differences in a, in a partner relationship, in a romance relationship, like desire, like intimacy, like affection. Those are all different aspects. But love, the way we express that to, through, through faithfulness and so on, and, and the attributes described here, it's good. Yeah. We can receive uh, the, the spiritual gifts from God, and we can even ask for them, mm -hmm. but is... More love? Can we ask for more love, or is that just a natural byproduct of the spiritual gifts? Oh, that's really good too. I love that. You know, um, I think that's probably like the the start, right? Lord, increase my love because it comes from Him. It's not necessarily that natural, especially like if you're driving in rush hour traffic. It's not your tendency, I'd say. And so, yeah, we pray for that. Lord, increase, like John says, John 3. Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. I want you. Abide. If we abide in love, then he abides in us. Lord, abide in us. Increase our love. 
and fill us with your love. And we pray for that. We pray for that. Help us, Lord. Give us love, huge love. I love that. I like that. Which, which one is it? Thanks, Reese. All right. There will be more. I'm going to ask the music team, uh, worship team to come back onto the platform. I'm so thankful for your questions that bring clarification and some focus. Let us know what's going on with you and how you're processing this because it's real. If it's not real, then we are undone. Love is the indispensable condition of the church, as one theologian put it. The indispensable condition of Westview. It is our eternal activity. That activity of love is our eternal activity. It is our contribution to the petrichor of the Trinity. But you know what needs to happen? In order for us to embody love, in order for us to express love, we need to acknowledge divine love and we need to receive it. You're here this morning. You're here on live stream because the Lord has appointed you for this message to receive love his love for you yeah some of you have been hurt in relationships or by church some of you have fears of different kinds some of you live with some depression about the past or you have anxiety about the future You have concerns for a family member or a friend or work or school. But the gospel and even John says that perfect love casts all of that out. It displaces it. And so all I have to offer you this morning is the message that God is love and He loves you. Receive His love. Acknowledge His love. Be grateful for His extravagant and lavish love. The love of God. 